A 2018 study from the Music Industry Research Association found that 50% of musicians reported battling symptoms of depression. That's compared with less than 25% of the general adult population. We wanted to find out why. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Untangling the Chords, a podcast from WFUV News and Sound Mind Live, focusing on the relationship between music and mental health. In this podcast, mental health experts, advocates, and musicians will share their expertise and experiences on the issue of mental health and provide practical advice on how to handle mental health challenges. In this episode, we're talking with Spencer Townsend Hughes and Angela Rose Whaley. They're the founders of Music Minds Matter, a support group for members of the Denver area music scene. The organization was originally designed as a get-together for musicians to talk about mental illness and their work within the music industry, but later expanded into a wider resource hub. As a musician with the band The Hollow, Spencer talked about how challenging the profession can be and how glad he was to find support in Angela, The Hollow's manager, and his bandmate, Jonathan Bray. I think for the most part, musicians use their art as their outlet. And so you're, you're putting um, your emotions, you're being very raw, very vulnerable uh, when, you, when you write song, uh, when you write songs. My favorite songwriter is Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and he said that uh, in an interview, he said, you're at the mercy of your own honesty. And I think that musicians have an ability to be as honest as they want. And when you kind of reveal yourself like that, you're letting yourself out there quite a bit. Sometimes it's not well received. Sometimes people don't like the song or they're not even listening to the lyrics that you spent ages writing and and recording. And so I think that there's a lot of identity that goes into being a musician. And when you do put yourself out there like that, you really run the risk of being accepted or rejected. And of course, uh, there's debates you can get into about like, well, that's not necessarily the reason you write music. You write music so you can emote and blah, blah, blah. Everybody has different reasons for being an artist. Everybody has a different uh, objective, I, I, would, I would assume. Um, but for me, I just, I kind of reached that, that critical mass of where one little stone fell and the whole avalanche came down, you know? It's just a collection of all of these different things um, that really like built up. And it, was, it, it got to a point where it was like, um, I had to outreach Angela and Jonathan and be honest with them and say, I, I've kind of, I, I don't really want to do music anymore. Is anybody listening to the songs that I'm writing? Is it like, we spend so much money on this. It was just the, the whole collection of everything came tumbling down. So instead of having the conversations as they came up, I just kind of bundled everything up and just held it inside until one critical moment. And, uh, I'm very grateful that I had the discussion with Angela and Jonathan when I did. Um, and I'm glad that we continue to have the conversations on a weekly basis with our community members about it because we're starting to see that we're much bigger than like the music projects that we're a part of. Like to me, I would, I would much rather have the conversations with human beings and interact with them on that level than worry about any musical project that I'm working on. Uh, it, it's really helped normalize a bit. Um, and it, it, kind of like reset the balance, I think, a lot. And Angela, who works more behind the scenes, shares similar observations from her perspective. I do play the piano and the harp, um, okay. but I knew early on that I have way too much social anxiety to be on stage. I've done a couple songs with Spencer in the Hollow, and my anxiety's through the roof. It's a lot of fun, but it's, it's a lot of fun when it's over, too. <laughs> but yeah, on the music side, I've always liked the behind the scenes, the music business side, um, kind of helping put the, put the show together, put the business together. Uh, that's my sweet spot. 
Spencer, does any of your music address the subject of mental health directly? It does, actually. I, uh, I took Josh Homme's advice when I wrote my song, uh, Cages. It's a song that deals with my panic attacks. Um, I, I'm claustrophobic, and I was a part of a show uh, in which I was puppeteering a suit that I had to wear. I actually had to crawl on the inside of it. It's seven feet tall and 15 feet long. Um, and it weighed about a hundred pounds. And so running around in it and you're getting physically exhausted, but then there was the like mental exhaustion that came with that. Uh, every time I was in this thing, I felt like that was it. Like today's going to be the day that I don't get out of this thing. You know? um, and so I wrote a song called cages. And what I did is I personified my panic attack and then I sing the song from the antagonist point of view. That to me was such a help uh, in dealing with my anxiety and my panic attacks. When I write that song and sing it from their perspective, but have this way of, um, it, it's almost like it was calming me down in a sense. Putting a face to that panic attack or you know, putting a face to that really helped me kind of normalize it a bit and actually have uh, kind of a conversation with it. That show recently ended and it was a little bittersweet because it was one of those kind of triumphant moments where it was like, there was a, a point in the show where I didn't think that I was, I, I thought I was going to have to quit my job. I just couldn't do it. The, the, physically, I could absolutely do it, but the, the mental struggle was too much. Um, and so I wrote that song while I was on that tour and we perform it and we found that it resonates with our audience so much. Uh, and it's very specific, like the lyrics in that song are very specific. So I didn't really think that people were going to latch onto it the way that they did. But it, I would say that it's one of the crowd favorites for sure. And I think uh, it, it really resonates with them. So it's definitely been beneficial for sure. Artistic expression as an emotional outlet is a theme we've heard in previous episodes of this podcast. But as explained here by Spencer and Angela, there's a reason Spencer's song Cages resonated so much with fans. Music at its core is a communal experience. It's a discussion between musicians and their fans. That sense of community is also what fueled the expansion of Music Minds Matter. I wanted to know more about how that played out. It's been a beautiful journey um, and it's only just begun because uh, we had started as a pretty intimate meetup. Uh, we also then uh, ended up getting two different grants from the city of Denver through their Denver Music Advancement Growth Fund. So shout out to Denver Arts and Venues. They're amazing and all the partners involved. Um, so with that grant money, we were then be able to, we were able to go and get trained to teach mental health first aid. So that's actually going to be kind of a big mission for us this year. Now the unfortunate part was 
I actually got trained this year. Spencer got trained late last year. Um, I got trained in February this year and I was actually leaving Nashville a couple days before that tornado ripped through the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course the COVID hit um, not too long after that. And that's when everything shut down in person. So we've been a little bit on hold and able to host the mental health first aid trainings, but actually just this week, the national council health first aid.org uh, released their fully virtual curriculum. So we're working to get trained to be able to teach that virtually. And so looking forward to a that to the community as well. I'm curious, what's involved with the response to that first aid, mental health first aid? What's involved in the response? It's an eight-hour course. It's eight hours worth of content. Um, so typically they say you could do a full day or you can do two half days with virtual. They recommend two half days. But it goes through everything, including um, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, uh, psychosis, uh, a little bit on eating disorders, um, it just gives you the tools too to be able to recognize if someone is in a crisis or is, is maybe in pre-crisis and then how to um, interact in that situation and get them to the professional help if, if needed. I, I think, and just to piggyback off of what Angela was talking about, it's the education is they, they use the uh, metaphor or the comparison to a lifeguard at a swim pool. Like, um, it's their job is to save the person and get them further and deeper help. Um, and so that is essentially the job of a mental health first aider is to assist someone who is in a mental health crisis and then getting them to a deeper uh, support service uh, to continue their recovery. And so um, it's kind of like the front lines. Um, as Angela was mentioning before, it's our opportunity. This opportunity for us is we want to educate as many members of the music community as we possibly can not only so that they can have that education for themselves but then also so that they can start helping community members as they're experiencing crisis because even during this covid um, pandemic our mental health professionals that we have partnered with are at capacity or past capacity with their client loads um, and the uh, colorado crisis center here in colorado is completely overwhelmed um, and so what we're trying to do is just help out where we can and be on the front lines by helping people de-escalate some of the situations in the crises. So that's, that's kind of our intention right now, and that's the direction that we're heading. So what did you learn about the warning signs of someone experiencing a mental health crisis that you didn't know before, and now you feel like you're in a better position to identify and to help someone? Sure. I mean, it's as I was going through the course... I realized so much how much of it was like kind of common sense stuff. But as you're relearning it and going through the course, you're like, oh, you can start to see some of these like signs, warning signs and triggers and things of that nature. Um, And especially being in the music community, it's a little bit more difficult. And I think that's, I know that when I went and got my instructor's training that the people who were there are mostly, uh, the people who are getting certified or instructor certified are mostly people who work in the mental health industry or the field. And so when I was like, yeah, I'm a musician and I started this organization, they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't even think that like musicians would benefit from this in a massive way. And so Angela and I have the fortunate ability to see this on like on the musician side, um, seeing what people are experiencing at concerts. Uh, so if someone is starting to experience crisis, not only in just everyday life, but then, you know, you, at, at a show, senses are heightened or you, people aren't really necessarily paying attention to everything around them so uh for us yeah i think uh some of the warning signs was kind of like the disassociation 
uh, aspect where it's like every, everything comes kind of discombobulated and people, uh, shortness of breath and like panic starts to set in, which then physically turns into like a, a molding or like a, a crouching sensibility. Um, I, those, those were like the most obvious ones to me. Angela, what about you? What did you see? Yeah, I agree with that. And what I took away too overall, kind of the oversimplified version is just the importance of words um, and, and how, how we communicate. Um, and listening non-judgmentally, like that seems pretty obvious, but also, but in practice, you realize like doing that consciously is something that um, everyone should practice is just listening non-judgmentally, not listening to respond or listening to fix, but just listening and allowing someone space to express what they're going through, because that is, that is their reality at that time. And as far as the word choice, you know, being aware of using words like crazy, like that's crazy, or they're going psycho, or using human first language, like instead of saying homeless person, that's a person without a home, or instead of saying they're a drug addict, that's a person that uses drugs. Because at first, before anything else, we're human. All those words lead to stigma, right? Crazy, yes, maniac. Exactly. It all contributes <laughs> to the stigma. That's insane, you know, and things that we say often without the intention, and I think that's the other thing is just uh, saying things without the intention, but that almost makes it worse in the sense of uh, uh, just a little bit of ignorance, you know? And it, there's, there's nothing wrong with learning and, and moving forward. So that's something that I'm going to be starting off my mental health first aid instructor, or like my certification courses with, is by like completely destigmatizing de that and telling people also in the training that we're learning this together. I am by no means like, by no means necessary am I like a professional at this. So I'm currently learning every day. And so uh, we're, we're hoping to provide that education and, and that kind of same reality with other people as well. Because the more you break down that stigma, the easier it's going to be for people to take the step to get help. You're not crazy. You're just someone who is dealing with an issue and we can help you with that, right? Right. Exactly. And also, and the reality is we're all going through something. Every single one of us is going through something. I think long gone are the days where we have to hide behind this kind of statue uh, that is supposed to represent like how strong and how bold we are when really it's, we're all broken and we're all just trying to get through this thing called life together. I mean, we're social creatures. And so the more that we can be vulnerable and honest with each other, I think we'll really start to see some of the rewards from that. I was also curious how the COVID-19 pandemic affected the organization's ability to interact with its community. COVID certainly forced our hand on a lot of things. Uh, we've always wanted to get into the digital meetup realm, but we wanted to make sure that we kind of had all of our bases covered. Um, and COVID said, well, screw that. You're going to do it anyway and figure it out right now. And so it's been kind of a trial and error situation, but I'm very, I'm so grateful that we've done that. Um, because it does give people the opportunity to participate in these meetups from the comfort of their own homes, which is something that is like so valuable that they can, they can opt out of the conversation whenever they want. Uh, they don't have to turn on their camera or their microphone when they're in the meetup. So it, it's really anonymous as much as they want. Uh, so we're super grateful for that. And we've been doing them weekly. Normally we've been hosting them uh, monthly uh, at our wonderful space uh, with our friends at Youth on Record here in Denver, Colorado. But now that we're giving people the opportunity to come weekly, we're seeing a nice combination of like new members and then also some of our kind of uh, established members who keep coming back. Uh, they, I think that we're starting to set the tone with 
how we can continue these conversations within our community without just having it be about the meetup or in the meetup. Uh, we really challenge people to outreach their friends and their families uh, or check in with them. We have this really great check-in system called the Stoplight Check-In with red, yellow, and green. And that way we do that at the very top of the meetup so that we can establish who is feeling what now and they can feel free to talk about it if they'd like or not. But also we're eliminating the stigma that you can only talk about mental health if you're feeling bad, if you're, if you're in the red, when it's quite the opposite. If you feel great, then you should be able to celebrate that and you should be able to talk about that without feeling uh, that like regret or that guilt of like, well, I feel great while other people are feeling really bad. There's a way that you can have that, uh, both of those conversations. So yeah, we're just, we're working on those things. We have programming in place for music festivals. Uh, we were going to beta a music festival program uh, at FOCO MX this year, which is a music festival up in Fort Collins, Colorado, um, where we have therapists who can communicate with musicians uh, about how they're feeling. Um, green room therapy, uh, offering a therapist to be at some of the more, uh, like the bigger concerts. Uh, at some of the bigger, like with the touring artists, uh, to give them support. I mean, if they're touring 300 days out of the year, it'd be nice if they had one place on, on tour where they could just chat with somebody in the green room. So we have a, a bunch of these different ideas of uh, directions that we're heading. Right now, we're kind of in that planning phase because of COVID. There's only so much we can do now, but we're, super, we're very excited for the, the possibilities and uh, crossing our fingers for the day that everything kind of normalizes and we can get back to the concerts, you know. I want to underscore a couple of things. What's the, the stoplight check-in is a wonderful tool for yourself, for your friends, your family, your bandmates. Um, and what it is, is you kind of check in with yourself. You say, am I green, yellow, or red? And that can be a spectrum, right? I've been yellow, green, and burnt orange a couple times. Um, but green is like, I'm all systems go. Everything is great. Yellow is middle of the road. You know, could be better, could be worse. And red is just, um, I'm not in a good place right now. And being able to check in with yourself, but also communicate that with your friends. So then, especially for the meetup example, like if someone goes around the room, someone says, look, today I'm, I'm red, I'm having a really hard time. And they may or may not expand, that's their choice. Now we have that information. So when we interact with that person, we kind of understand where they're coming from. So we're not taking anything personally or we're not pushing them. We just have a little bit of space and grace um, for wherever folks are coming from. And then overall, too, I would say, you know, during this pandemic, there seems to be a lot of push to be kind of more productive, more creative. You should be doing this, should, should, should. There's been a lot of shooting on people. Um, and it's okay to not be your most productive during a global pandemic, right? Like, we're all going through some kind of like collective trauma. Um, this is a totally new situation that's unprecedented. And so, again, giving yourself some space and grace if you're not feeling creative and you're not feeling productive, that's okay. The question of productivity and how it relates to mental wellness is likely to come up again as we go deeper into this investigation into mental health and music. More broadly, it's a question that many of us are faced with untangling in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll cover that topic and more next week when we talk with Patsy Dolan Baressa of the Sims Foundation. I want to thank Spencer and Angela for their time and you for listening to Untangling the Chords. If you or someone you know is struggling with a mental health issue, there's a list of resources at soundmindslive.org resources. I'm George Boldarki. Our writer is Anthony Alimo. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions.